Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you, Jesus. I desire to kind of know what's coming next. Uh, we, we follow the weather reports and uh, you know, we, we check out, you know, what's it going to be like today? Do I have to wear my coat? Maybe we even want to look a little further down the line when I go for a picnic. Will it be uh, raining? When I head down for vacation, what's the weather going to be like there? Uh, if you follow fantasy sports teams, you might be uh, digging into the stats and the history of the players that are on your team just so that you can guess which player is going to make the best fit for your team. Uh, stock indexes are, are the same way. We, we look at how things have been so that we can see how they might be. When we go to, uh, to the doctor, we really want to get a time frame. You know, if I've got the flu, how long is it going to take before this medicine makes me better? If there's something more serious, how much more time do I have? Even with our, our vehicles and our homes, we, we're constantly going through routine maintenance just to make sure that something unexpected doesn't come up, right? And does God have an answer for this? Do, the, the verse that we're going to look at today talks about knowing God's will for our life. And I think that sometimes we conflate these things, knowing the future to knowing what God's will is. What's the action right now that's going to give me the best possible future outcome. You know, personally, I've, I've never been in a situation where I wanted to know God's will more than, than when my first daughter was born. She's going to be 11 soon, so you can do the math there. Um, but just all of a sudden, I had this, this new responsibility. I think that that, that feeling of, of knowing what's next for your kids, wanting to make the best decisions for your kids for their future, that, that doesn't go away even as the kids get older. We want to know what we can do. And I think that sometimes we take it a little too far. In James 4, uh, verses 13 and 14, he's addressing some businessmen who are bragging about how successful they're going to be in the coming year. And he says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? For You're a mist that appears for a little more time and then vanishes. You know, we, we keep trying to peel the, the curtain back on history, but I, I really think that we're asking the wrong question. Uh, does anybody remember the, the What Would Jesus Do bracelets that they had in the 90s? Yeah, I think those are, they're a great way to remind us to follow the example set by Christ, but they, they fall short in a really critical way, and that is that, that they're inviting us to interpret Jesus' example, and they aren't really inviting Jesus to interpret us. They aren't inviting Jesus to, to encounter us. We're, we're, we're looking at, at just what should we do. 
But really what we need to be looking at is, do we know God? And that's what the, uh, the passage today is about. As we look into Colossians 1, continuing the series on Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Uh, if you can start turning there. Colossians, uh, Steve kind of went over already, but um, it's uh, something that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And he was starting to worry about what his future might hold. He was also very passionate about the people in Colossae. Uh, he'd, he'd helped to start the church there, helped to introduce them to who Christ was, and he'd heard about this, uh, this new gospel, if you will, that was being preached that, that was pulling people away from, from really knowing who Christ was. It was most likely a, a form of Jewish Gnosticism, basically pulling people towards an idea that, that it's just about the spiritual, that, that Christ wasn't a physical being, that, that we aren't called to be, um, that we aren't called also to be Christ followers in our, our physical bodies, um, separating out the, the world that we live in now from the spiritual world that we should live in. And, and Paul is, is very defensive of these people because he cares deeply for them. So as we, as we dig in here, I want you to keep that in mind. Colossians 1, uh, 9 through 14, this is in the New Living Translation. Um, he writes, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all His glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience that you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Now in, in the, uh, the New Living there, it's, it's divided neatly into to three sections and three sentences even. Um, but uh, in, the, in the Greek, and I, I won't actually read anything, Castellios is still here. But uh, it just, it, it's one big sentence. And so there's this interdependency between these three, three sections of Paul's prayer that, that we're going to be looking at. And I want you to know um, how he, he ties this together into a kaleidoscope of prayer that's, that's really quite beautiful. And uh, Colossians continues a lot of these themes as well. So we'll be, be revisiting a lot of this. Um, but Paul, Paul's prayer in, in these passages really can be divided into First, a petition. There's a section that's really focused on the power of Christ and finally on, on the purchase, the purchase of, of, of us. Um, and so uh, as we look at how these three work together, uh, we, we get an idea of what it really looks like to know God, to know God's will for our lives. And it's, it's not about glimpsing the future, it's about living today. And so I think this is... is so exciting. Uh, first off, Paul starts in it and he is making a petition. It's not just a prayer where Paul is saying, 
God, thank you for everything. He's, he's making a, a request, a very specific request. And he says that he's doing this with consistency. He's, uh, he's continuing to pray for them. He hasn't stopped praying. And I, I want to ask you, have you ever experienced someone praying for you in this way? Have you known somebody that's, that's praying for you continually? As I was growing up, for me, it was my grandma. I always knew that my grandma was praying for me. She was praying for so many people, but I knew that a lot of the time she was praying for me specifically. And as my, as my grandma has gotten older and, and passed away now, my, my mother has, has really taken over that. And, and I know that my mom is always praying not only for me, but for my kids and for, for all these things that, that we worry about that we try to look into the future on. I know that there are people praying for me. And on the, on the flip side of that, are there people that, that you're praying for in this way? Have you seen God work through your consistent prayer? And this stuff is important, and it's, it's not just important because you know, there's a good list of, of nice qualities here, because then it would just be a list of morals, and we'd be, be back to just having a, a bunch of impossible ideals, really. But, but this petition is important because of who Paul is asking these things of. He's, he's asking Jesus. And there is... There's power in that. But also, I want, I want to note that he is asking. That means that this isn't a given. These things aren't something that he just assumes. Well, you know, you're, you've become Christians, therefore your, your life is going to be good. You're not going to have problems. You're not going to fall for, for these uh, false teachers. There's a, a possibility here of, uh, there's a need for this prayer. So Paul is, is at, at one, on one hand, he's saying, I need to pray for these people that I love dearly. On the other hand, there's also hope in that. That if, if you are in a place where you aren't living victoriously, that Paul here is, is, is praying for these people and seeing an opportunity for them to do that. Um, at our, our district conference that I was attending this week, we had uh, someone share from Journey Canada, and he was sharing about his struggles with um, same-sex attraction, and how for 10 years he had lived in defeat. And he'd heard so many stories of other Christians who had also lived with defeat, and, and they'd gotten over it. But he hadn't seen what it was like for people to continue to struggle. And so he didn't see that hope. He didn't see that opportunity for him because he hadn't found victory yet. Well, Paul here is praying for people who are not yet victorious. And I think it's so important to recognize that that there is hope even in the, in the middle of a crisis. And finally, this is something that's happening in community. As, as Paul wrote this letter, it wasn't just like Paul found himself in prison, he had too much time on his hands, so he, he started writing letters. No, he, he was passionate about these people that he'd witnessed to. He was passionate about these friends. He, he thought of them as family. And so not only did he send a letter, but he sent someone along to read the letter to the people. And so when they received this, they received not just the words that he had written, but the emotion that he carried with that as well. And for Paul, it was so important, not just that they live victoriously, but that they know Christ. Because that's where the power in Paul's prayer really comes in. And we see that, that shift in verse 10 and 11 where Paul starts to not just talk about the fact that he's praying for them, that he's praying consistently, 
but he is praying for knowledge, for spiritual wisdom and understanding to fill them, for God's will to be worked out in their lives, for God's purpose and his pleasure, for that fruit that that Steve was talking about last week in in verse 6. We see it again here in verse 10. And that fruit is not something that we work towards achieving. It's not something that we do, but it's something that happens to us. It's something that happens in us because, because of Christ. Paul's prayer continues, and, and it's even our thankfulness isn't something that we can, can produce on our own, but that it, it comes from this overflowing joy as Christ fills us, as we are filled with this spiritual knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And we see that 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 thankfulness is because of this purchase that Christ has made. That we have been redeemed, it says in other translations. So we, we have here a picture of redemption, of transfer. Other times we've talked about transformation, but here Paul talks about how we've been transferred. We haven't been transformed yet, we've just been transferred. And so as, as you think about redemption and transfer, the first thing that comes to mind for me is you've got the redemption center where you take your bottles and you've got the transfer station where you drop off your trash. And so at the redemption center you take in the bottles that, and the cans and the things that have been sitting in your back corner or in some people's cases, they might be sitting in someone else's garbage, and you found those bottles, and you, you take them along, and uh, you bring them to the Redemption Center, and they're garbage, but you get, you get money back. You know that's, that's good, right? Somebody values it. You go to the transfer station, though, you take things there that are not only that you don't value, but you value them so little that you're willing to pay someone else to get rid of them. Right? So you go down to the transfer station with a a load of garbage. And uh, one time I was doing just that with my dad. We were working on a house project, and so we had a, a pickup load full of just garbage. There was, there was no value in it, but we had to pay. To, we'd already paid our, our entrance fee to the dump, and so we'd just finished shoveling the stuff out of the back of the pickup truck. And my dad saw on the pile there was this, uh, this red Milwaukee toolbox, and it was, it was all metal, it was pretty rusty and beat up, but he, he, he reached in and he, he grabbed that out from the transfer station and put it in the back of the pickup truck after we had it all cleaned out. And uh, we, we went home and, and he cleaned that thing up and, and it, it didn't exactly shine, but it did a really good job of holding my tools. And uh, when I, whenever I look at that toolbox, I think of, of how my dad saw value in that and he gave it to me because he saw value in it. But he transferred it, right? It went the wrong way. And I think that we forget sometimes how phenomenal it is that we've been transferred. We haven't just been transformed. God didn't just find us and say, ah, oh, you've got to clean yourself up here. you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Because you've got to change if you're going to come into my kingdom. No, he, he found us as we were. And he took us from where we were and he brought us into his kingdom. And then we have this, this opportunity to be transformed but we've already been transferred. If you could turn to Galatians 4, 8 through 9, and, and Paul, I think, drives this point home even further. 
Uh, the, the Galatians were uh, dealing with some different issues than the Colossians, but they have the same theme of, of what does it mean to know God? And so Paul says to the Galatians, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Or should I say, now that God knows you? It's not that we're accumulating knowledge. It's not that, that we are le learning things and, and it's not how much we've added to our own minds, but it's what God has put in us. It's the value that God has seen in us and God has put there. And yet, so often we get pulled off course because we, we want to say that Jesus is an important thing in our lives. That our, our relationship with Christ, yeah, that's a, that's a thing that, that carries a lot of weight with us. But is Jesus the thing in your life? Is Jesus the thing that, that orders all the other things in your life? What is our story as we look at who we are? As we look at our, our testimony? What is Jesus' place in our lives? How does His relationship stack up with the other things in our lives? Are we, are we going back to, to the things of this world? Are we caring more about the weather report for the day? or what the doctor has to say, or all these things. Not that these things aren't important, not that they aren't useful, but are we ordering them around who Jesus is in us? Are we, are, are we ordering our lives around the knowledge of Christ, which is Christ knowing us? It's, it's a two-way relationship. Jesus says in, in John 17, 3, what it is to know God. He says that this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. You see, if C.S. Lewis wrote that uh, if this whole Christianity thing isn't isn't true, then we're wasting our time. There's not a there's not a point where it's if it's not true, it's not important. But if it is true, it is eternally important. There's not a kind of important spot that we get to, to rest on here. It's not just another thing in our lives. But Christ is the thing in our lives. So if you're, if you're considering a relationship with Christ, if, I want you to know that, that you can be transferred, that it's not something you have to work your way up towards. It's not something that you have to do to enter into the kingdom, but it is something that you must allow to be done for you. That you must know God and Jesus Christ. It's not that you have to discover God, but it's that you have to allow God to discover you. As we go back to the Galatians passage there, now that you know God, or should I say that God knows you? Are you allowing God to interpret your story? Are you allowing Christ to speak through your life and to set your priorities. 
And maybe this is a commitment you've already made. I know a lot of us here have accepted Christ. We've, we've asked Him to be the Lord of our lives and we've, we've said that we want Him to be in charge. But are there things that are pulling us off center? Are we in alignment with who Christ is? Is He still the thing? Last time I was down in the States, I read uh, an article about an old woman in the uh, town I grew up in. And uh, she was actually, she was very older than I think anyone here. She was turning 103. And uh, the, uh, the reporter asked her, you know, you, you've, you've experienced so much. What, tell me, what, what was the highlight? What has been the highlight of your life? And she said, you know, when I was a little girl, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. And that has made all the difference. That is what makes, makes my life worth living every day. You know, almost a hundred years later, Jesus was still the thing that made everything else worthwhile, that made everything else make sense. And that's the, the passion, the same passion that Paul is bringing into this passage. As we look at his petition... And we consider how, how passionate he was about praying for these people. I want to encourage us to be praying for one another. To be considering if Jesus is this important in our story. If Jesus is the thing in our lives that makes everything else work. Are we as passionate about that thing in, in others' lives? Are we praying for others consistently and passionately? We're remembering that the, the power of Christ is as he, as he dwells in us, as, as we allow Him to know us. And thereby we, we come to know Him. We're transformed by that spiritual wisdom, that spiritual understanding, that knowledge of who God is working inside of us. Are we keeping in mind how how essential and how amazing our redemption really is. So as we move into a time of communion, I, I want to encourage you to be considering what is your story? Where does Jesus fit into your life story? And are there things that, that you want to, uh, to start rearranging? Things that might look different if you're focused on, on who Christ is. If he's the thing, instead of just something you do on Sunday, something that, that you come to when you really need it, but that Christ is, is the thing in your life that makes everything else worthwhile. I'd like to ask the, the ushers to come forward as I pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for today, and we, we thank you for redeeming us, for purchasing us, and we thank you that, that even as we were, were unworthy to be called into your kingdom, Lord, that you have transferred us to your kingdom, that you have given us the opportunity to participate, and that through allowing you into our lives, Lord, that, that we are, are brought into to real life with you, Lord. That we are, are present in your kingdom, not because of who we are or what we have done, Lord, but because of who you are and because we have begun to know you in our lives, Lord. We pray for also for those who maybe haven't made a decision for you yet, Lord, and I, 
I pray this morning that you would continue to work on their hearts. That you would help them to, to understand that there, there isn't one more thing that has to be done save to accept you. To accept that you have already paid the price for their redemption. That you have already paid the price for their transference into your kingdom, Lord. And the decision is theirs to participate. The decision is theirs to, to be known and to know you better, Lord. I pray these things in your name. Declare your prayer.